the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hour number three. The time is flying by. Good morning. Welcome back to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Our telephone number 303-696-1971. I do want to get to a uh, a long text that had come in before we bring on our guest, Keith Nobles. We were talking with uh, Mike Johnston, candidate for mayor in the last hour. The issue of mental health came up. Um, Listener texting in. I also think having these mental health places in the school... Oh, it was even even longer that she had gone. And you know what? I'm going to wait. We'll get to the text. I did realize that there was a preceding long text. Thoughtful. I want to read them on the air. So we'll get to that in the next segment after our guest, Keith Nobles, here as we continue on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710-KNUS. So on February 21st, 2000. And 22, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered Russian forces into two regions of Ukraine, claiming that they were Russian territory. A few days later, the full-scale invasion would begin, but really, February 21st should be counted as the first day of the Russian invasion. And I was filling in for Stefan Tubbs. Joined by Keith Nobles, and we had this exchange at the beginning of the interview. Keith, I I said earlier today, I was like, wouldn't it be something if uh, I bring you on the air and the invasion begins? And I shouldn't have said that, brother. I, I Welcome to the show. It's good to have you this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me on. And no, you should not have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke, I spoke way prophetic. too soon. My gosh. I know. I know. What 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 exactly is your understanding of what's happening now? I mean, I got a, a few of those points across, but what's your breakdown? Well, you asked me yesterday if I would come on and, and spend this time with you. And I spent a, a fair amount of time preparing to be able to explain all the different possibilities and options of what was happening. Mm-hmm. And the last four hours... Most of those options seemingly have disappeared. Wow. Uh, the, the goal up until now has been avoiding this war without conceding to Putin's demands. That, that's, that's really been the objective. And <clears throat> it seems highly unlikely at this point that we will avoid this war. And avoid the war we did not. Keith Nobles is a former military intelligence contractor, go-to guy here on the program for over a year now on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and he joins me now. Uh, Keith, welcome back, and uh, how about listening to that exchange from <laughs> just over a year ago, brother? Yeah, that's uh, kind of wild how it all turned out when we were on the air. 
I mean, if you look at the last year, I don't think any of this has gone as expected. You were saying, well, in the last four hours, this all changed, and then things continued to change. For example, who really anticipated that Russia would have been doing so bad over the last year? Uh, Exactly, Jimmy. Uh, And the Ukrainians doing so well. Yeah, well, and the consensus a year ago was Russia would be able to overrun Ukraine probably in weeks at, at best. And it, it just didn't happen. Nobody foresaw how dismal the performance of the Russian military would actually be. And there's there's going to be a lot of a lot of studies and papers written over the next ten years or so about why the Russian military performed so poorly. Why do you think the Russian military performed so poorly? And how did we get from that? On February 21st to 2022, to where we are now on February 25th, 2023. Well, at the heart of it, Jimmy, Russian soldiers don't want to be there doing this. That's just become obvious. They don't want to be there. They don't want to be doing this. They're not highly motivated to do this. On the other hand, uh, the, the other surprising part of this is how highly motivated Ukrainians, even those Ukrainians who are ethnically are Russian, how highly motivated they have been to defend their country. So I think I said a year ago when I was on with you, uh, what should the United States do? We should probably supply Ukraine as long as Ukraine has a will to fight. And Ukraine has shown an exceptional will to fight. Now, now in that regard, Keith Nobles, when we look at the willingness, it's also been, I think, emboldened by the fact that the international community has, from the get-go, been very strong, particularly led by Europe. It isn't Joe Biden who started leading in the support for Ukraine. It was Europe, particularly because they're a little concerned about the idea of an expansionist Russia reasserting itself. Well, especially Eastern Europe, Poland, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Romania, uh, those countries would lose that buffer between Russia and themselves in many cases. So they are, uh, yeah, they are they are leading the charge. Maybe Germany and France are a little more uh, reluctant to help out, but uh, the NATO countries in Eastern Europe are highly motivated to make sure that you that it's not so much that Ukraine wins, it's that Russia does not win. So Keith Nobles, uh, again, our guest, former military intelligence contractor during the last decade of the Cold War, you have said for a long time now that the United States and China have been in a Cold War since the mid or late 1990s. And only now are we starting to, in the last year or two, see other analysts that have really been catching up to your line of thinking there. And a little under a year ago, as things were heading south for Russia in Ukraine, certainly compared with what the expectations were, you and I wrote a piece for Uh, Newsweek, where we talked about how China was dismayed about what was happening with Russia and seeing the response of the international community, et cetera, that that would 
discourage China from invading Taiwan in a similar fashion to Russia invading Ukraine. And now, though, we are seeing China, after sort of pulling back on support for Russia, or at least seeming to do that, they're now having bilateral meetings with Russia. They are showing greater support and so forth. I don't necessarily see anything substantive or tangible right now, but how do you assess, especially in retrospect, since we were writing that column last year, um, how do you think the relationship between China and Russia has evolved, particularly vis-a-vis Ukraine and, and maybe some considerations of China when it comes to Taiwan? Uh, well, China is trying to thread a needle here. So ultimately, the goal of China, so since the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, the West, the United States, and Europe has made it clear to Russia they are invited to join the West. That door is open. But they would have to do certain things that they have not been willing to do. Uh, well, Vladimir Putin has not been willing to do. Among those things are have some kind of legitimate representative government. And uh, particularly the, the protection of private property. And Russia is a, a gangster state. They have been totally unwilling to do those things required to join the West. So China's goal here is to make sure Russia does not join the West. Uh, China does not want a country that is friendly to NATO, friendly to the United States, that, well, China and Russia share a 3,000-mile border, and Russia has nuclear weapons. So on the other hand, yeah, so on the one hand, they, they do not want them joining the West. So they have that goal to keep Putin in place if they can. On the other hand, over the last 70 years, China and Russia have de facto fought several low-level wars between themselves. There is uh, not a lot of trust there between Russia and China. Uh, some people try to make it out like it's you know, some kind of alliance like uh, the United States and the United Kingdom, and that's, that's just not the case. These people, at the heart of it, Russia and China still really don't trust each other. And Russia is certainly not eager to take a subservient position to China in any relationship. So, Keith, we are going to see very soon a meeting between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin in Russia. What is that, in your view, supposed to send as a message, especially as someone who was in military intel during that last crucial decade of the Cold War? I think China is going to make an effort to keep Putin in place. I I mean, go back to a year ago, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, Jimmy. It was assumed that Russia would be able to overrun Ukraine in a few weeks. Russia launched that three-pronged attack with the, the northernmost prong aimed at Kiev, Kiev, and uh, they failed to be able to execute that, execute that attack, and everything has fallen apart for Russia since then. So Putin's position has changed. His position in Russia is tenuous. And we need to understand for somebody in the position Vladimir Putin is in, his time in office and his life, uh, the end of his life are likely to end. His life and his term in office are likely to end at the same time. He's not going to end up in a resort on the Black Sea when he's done in office. So China has an interest in, in keeping Russia out of the grasp of the West, as I mentioned before. And that's that's really, like I said, the, the needle they're trying to thread here. 
Um, I, I don't know that China will give overt military support to China, to Russia, but they certainly would like Putin to, or someone like Putin to remain in place. Uh, Keith, how worried are you about the prospect of nuclear war, especially given what you're saying vis-a-vis China? I mean, we're hearing more talk about World War III. In fact, <clears throat> Donald Trump, uh, the former president, has said that uh, we are we have never been closer to World War III, which uh, I think there was a, uh, there were several, at least several points during the Cold War where we were pretty darn close to to World War III. I don't think that is actually reality uh, or accurate, but when we look at this World War III talk, when we look at this nuclear war talk, uh, what do you approach that with? What is your perspective? So what Trump said is uh, hyperbole. <laughs> we're, we're nowhere near the closest we've been to World War III. Uh, <clears throat> that aside, I, nuclear weapons are unlikely. Uh, but, but here's sort of what's happening. <clears throat> the Russian military, the, the por- performance has been so dismal that defending this war to the Russian people, but by Putin and the Russian government, has become increasingly more difficult. And so what Putin has done, the tactic Putin has adopted is he is trying to defend this war to the Russian people and defend the the horrible performance of the Russian military by essentially claiming that Russia is not at war with Ukraine, Russia is at war with NATO. Well, Russia is not at war with NATO. Russia does not want to be at war with NATO. Russia is at war with Ukraine. But that's not how he presents it to the Russian people. So he presents this to the Russian people like they're at war with the United States and they're at war with NATO and blah, 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 blah. So you need to take these statements in that vein that so much of what Putin says is intended for internal Russian consumption. It's not a policy statement toward NATO. And I don't think the United States or NATO takes it as a policy statement. If Russia were to use a nuclear weapon here, it would create a hundred problems for them that are worse than whatever problem they thought a nuclear weapon would solve. But what about the argument that Putin's being backed into a corner and it may be the only way that he can lash out at the end? Well, um, I'm sure Putin is backed into a corner. I don't see a nuclear weapon getting him out of that corner puts him in the farther into that corner. Um, it's very difficult to be to get people to actually use a nuclear weapon. Twice during the Cold War, uh, Soviet premiers, Politburo, gave permission to Soviet commanders to use nuclear weapons, and nine a time would they do so. So uh, the idea of what you're unleashing... And maybe Putin doesn't care that he and everybody he knows ends up dying from this. But other people do care mm-hmm. that they and everyone they know does not die. So it's it's not that easy to just say, use a nuclear weapon and have it happen. Sure. Yeah. Keith Noble's our guest, former military intelligence contractor. I want to talk about one final thing, and that is where we go from here, but in the context of potential additional U.S. military support for Ukraine, here is President Biden being pressed on uh, ABC News about weapons, providing additional weapons and support to the Ukrainian government. We know the Germans are now sending tanks in after the U.S. said it would send Abrams tanks as well. But we know President Zelensky continues to say what he really needs are F-16s. Will you send F-16s? Look, we're sending him what 
our seasoned military thinks he needs now. He needs tanks, he needs artillery, he needs air defense, including another HIMARS. There's things he needs now that we're sending him to put him in a position to be able to make gains this spring and this summer going into the fall. You don't think he needs F-16s now? No, he doesn't need F-16s now. Is that a never? Look, first of all, the idea that we know exactly what's going to be needed a year, two, three now, but there is no basis upon which there is a rationale, according to our military now, to provide F-16s. But you're not ruling it out? I am ruling it out for now. He is ruling it out for now, providing F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. But what's interesting, too, is now the increasing chatter that, as the Wall Street Journal has in an editorial, Keith Nobles, Abrams tanks may never reach Ukraine. And they quote in this editorial, Army Secretary Christine Warmoth telling reporters that it could take up to two years for Abrams tanks to get to Ukraine. And the article goes on to say two years that is an eternity in warfare and the abrams offer increasingly looks like it was an insincere promise intended to give germany's governmental political government political cover to provide the leopards that would be their leopard tanks that may have been necessary as diplomacy but it isn't enough to help the ukrainians evict russia now keith I just was thinking as I was reading this, I'm glad that the Wall Street Journal editorial board has caught up to what you said on this program just after the announcement came that the U.S. government would provide Abrams tanks. You literally said, I don't think we're going to provide those tanks. Well, exactly. <laughs> I don't think Ukraine wants those tanks. I mean, we, we talked about this. The Abrams would require a whole new logistics line to support that tank. The Abrams tanks, among other things requires an entirely different fuel than any other tank that Ukraine possesses. The effort to set up those logistics lines to support those tanks is probably draws more combat power away from the battlefield than the tanks provide. And, and so with that in mind, where do we go from here? And what about continued U.S. military support for Ukraine with additional funds? Is it worth it? Is it something the U.S. should continue to invest in? Because there are a lot of conservatives who are pulling back and saying, you know what, we need to stop it. We need to stop the, shall we say, gravy train from their perspective. Uh, no, I think we continue to provide Ukraine what they need to kill Russian soldiers and destroy their equipment. Um, what we're spending here. It looks like a lot of money. In reality, for what we're getting here, which is the severe degradation of the Russian military, we are spending pennies on the dollar. This is, for what the United States is getting out of this, this is a very, very inexpensive investment. Um, we've probably moved the possibility of war between the United States and Russia, between Russia having territorial ambitions in places like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, well, we've probably moved that off 10 years or more just by the losses the Russian military has suffered. And the fact that when this war is over, the Russian military is going to have to reassess how they do everything in light of, of how dismal their performance has been. Well, and, and in that regard, uh, Putin has viewed himself and written this for years and years, as you've talked about that. He's the, he wants to be the 21st century Peter the Great, restoring the yeah. Russian Empire. He's not been 
uh, hesitant to share those ambitions for a very, very long time. And yet what you're talking about, Keith, is is still something that is giving a lot of Americans, including folks on the right, who normally would be on board or traditionally would be on board with more interventionist types of policies, uh, you're saying, yeah, we, we really need the U.S. to continue to, to do this when Russia isn't the Russia it used to be. Well, yeah, and we we want I mean, our ultimate goal here is we avoid war between Russia and the United States, Russia and NATO. And the more the Russian military is damaged in Ukraine, the less likely that war becomes. Because if we were to go to war with Russia, it would be over those territories in Eastern Europe that have joined NATO that Putin would like to reabsorb into Russia. Keith Nobles, again, our guest, former military intelligence contractor in the last decade plus of the Cold War. We got to leave it there, my friend. Always interesting perspective and analysis. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Jimmy. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't remind folks that you are co-host of the Cowgirls and Indians podcast along with Christina Cook. I appreciate you joining us, as always. Once again, Keith Nobles joining us on the program. It is the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. And speaking of blasts from the past, this is something uh, we shared from my friends at Critical Mass. Last year, we're going to go out to the break with this As we continue, Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. What are we going to do today, Vladimir? Same as we do every day, Pinko. Try to take over the world. They're Putin and Ukraine, Putin and Ukraine. One's a sovereign nation, the other's insane. He's crazy as can be, he's starting World War III, he's Putin. Oh, Howlin' Wolf. Always love hearing that. Wolfman Howl, especially with the harmonica, one of the great harmonica players of all time. This tune, Worried About My Baby, is one of the inspirational songs for me wanting to play harmonica, actually. Other than Blues Traveler and John Popper. You gotta love it. The great late Howlin' Wolf as we continue on the program today. All of our bumper music on this, the last Saturday of Black History Month, is playing, paying, I keep saying playing tribute, paying tribute, maybe because we're playing music. We are, that. you know what? Never mind. We are playing tribute. We are playing tribute to the Black Blues Harp Pioneers here on the program today, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. All right, let's get to some text. If you want to join in, 303-696-1971. Listener texts that came in quite long. Want to do some due diligence here. My thoughts on Mike Johnston. Number one, all day preschool and kindergarten is a waste of money. The children who just take first grade with no preschool and kindergarten, uh, as those who did, will be in the same place at the end first of first grade academically. You know what? There's a lot of research that shows that that is true. Very much so. I'm glad he turned around high schools. That's pri- a priority that it should be. Step 13 works wonderfully. There aren't any handouts. These people have been, uh, have been have to be working and they have to be off drugs. Many of these home of the homeless don't want to change their lifestyle. There's truth in that. 
and one offered mental health, uh, once offered mental health often don't take it. We've done programs with handouts and places to live, and it doesn't work. There's a mixed bag in that, but I agree that treatment first is absolutely critical. You need to have some of those requirements. A man or woman has to have dignity in the workforce. I'm all for mental health, but just enabling people, I think, doesn't do them any good. From listening to him, it seems like his policies are the same Democratic look at the mess. And we're already seeing it play out. I also think having these mental health places in the school run by the school isn't the best idea. You know, I think there's a very important point to be had there. And this is the big reason why I wanted to read this listener's text. I am very concerned about how schools are approaching the issue of mental health. And I think it's critical that we have a real discussion about in regards to mental health that we have a real discussion about how schools are supposed to address it, what they're supposed to have as far as parental involvement and guarantees in that regard. I mean, it is a very, very important subject, and I don't trust schools to be delving increasingly into mental health. Providing some support, yes, it's important and valuable. But how you do it, you got to think very strongly about this. Listener text goes on, we are already seeing some of the things that they're trying to push on these children, like CRT, LGBTQ, and so forth. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I think that's a, it's a related issue. It's also a separate issue. Um, there are two, there's a lot there. Um, and then I appreciate this. Jimmy, by the way, I'm so thankful that you got help for mental health issues. I have a family member that has mental issues, and she's getting help that's made a huge difference in her life. She still needs help, but it's working better. Uh, it's through a marriage to one of my children. That's wonderful. Uh, God bless you, Jimmy. I just want to see a good candidate for Denver. I'm a native here almost 75 years now, and I just can't help. Uh, I just can't go with these Democratic liberal policies. So I, I wanted to read the whole text. I thought there was a lot there that was good. I appreciate it. I think it's important for for somebody like me. Mike Johnston made this point to be open about mental health to be clear on the mental health issue and to say, look, people you might not expect were going through issues. Like as I was going through mental health treatment, I was a host on this station. I was hosting Saturday nights and I was going and seeing the therapist. I was on medication for clinical depression. And finally in fall of 2018, I, I was able to get off meds after seven years. But the entire time I was hosting, until I got off meds, the entire time this show was going on, I was on medication, and I was seeing a therapist. And it worked out very well for me, and I'm a big advocate for eliminating the stigma on mental health and being able to talk about real solutions and ways to address Another listener text, a pre-K is just government babysitters. Polis is so deeply in love with this concept. And then going on and, and talking about the idea of uh, welfare moms sitting at home and enjoying themselves, basically, while somebody else gets to raise their kids. I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think I would not cast aspersions. Are there welfare moms, so to speak, benefiting from those welfare programs who are uh, sending kids to pre-K for, for that kind of purpose? Sure, maybe. But. I do think that there's a lot more to it, and um, at least in terms of the people who are benefiting from those programs and what their motivations are. 
uh, sometimes child care is really expensive. It is very expensive. And if you are poor, having a government program like that can help you to be able to work and so forth, not just to be at home and relax and take drugs or whatever aspersions you want to cast in that regard. I agree that universal pre-K is a bad idea. It's not a good program. It should not be in effect. But I wouldn't go and cast aspersions on beneficiaries in that same way. Uh, Alexa texting in, any thoughts on the Biden and Zelensky BS photo video this week? Air raid sirens had not gone off in five days. They just happened to go off as Biden and Zelensky are walking together. Also bizarre that not one person in the video flinched or ran for cover. Yeah, I'm sure that's a photo op. I'm sure that's a photo op. Uh, Why they would do that, I don't know. Clearly, there's some kind of visual representation. It doesn't change my view that with accountability, more accountability mechanisms put in place to watch over the weapons and where they're going and the money, I think we need more oversight. I'm still favorable to it, um, a a la what Keith Nobles was discussing and suggesting in the uh, last segment here on the program. Uh, listener text with the upcoming Russian offensive. It would be a great time to counterattack the naval base in Crimea, hit the infrastructure and suck some ships. We'll see what happens in that regard. And I think that uh, that covers the ones that I wanted to get to as far as the uh, texts coming in. But, you know, when we look at the discussion of um the government programs like pre-K. I mean, look, the reality is we need to be focusing our attention on reforms and accountability in K through 12, not adding pre-K to the mix for whatever reasons you want to talk about in terms of the motivations behind it. Tomorrow's column in the Denver Gazette, Jeffco school spurns parents accountability. Um, You know, when when you look at a a school in a district like Jeffco, you look at a district like Jeffco, undermining accountability committees that are put in place to help with academics, to engage parents, to involve them in a way that provides accountability, that's a problem. And that's what I expose tomorrow involving former state Senator Evie Hudak in particular. And Jefferson County Schools... It's like all these other school districts failing kids when it comes to student achievement and more. And we need accountability committees that are required by law to actually have some teeth. Jeffco's undermining that. Jeffco's undermining all sorts of different independent oversight panels. That's a big problem. Must be addressed and take priority well above instituting universal pre-K. Come on now. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our crossover with Peter Boyles here on Denver's local talk, Leader News Talk, 710 KNUS. Had to get to the harmonica playing homage, yes, playing homage to the pioneering black blues harmonica players that's called fan in the harp what james cotton is doing right there such a cool fun technique i love fan in the harp as we continue 
on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, wrapping up and winding down. News Talk 710 KNUS. It's a tune called Rocket 88. And rocketing here into the studio is the man who's coming up from 9 to noon. You know him as Peter Boyles. Good morning, Pete. How the heck are you? That's an Oldsmobile, by the way. Did you know that? No. That rocket. No, is it? Yeah, Rocket 88 and all this stuff. And they were back. Those guys. I heard you play or mention little Walter going Mm -hmm. to the gym this morning. Yep. It's my guy. Yeah. One (laughs) of the best harmonica players ever. One of the pioneers. Muddy Waters had him in his band for a long time. There there was a film, and it wasn't really an accurate film. It's called Cadillac Records. I saw it. Okay, it, it is good. It's I think it's wonderful, but there it's the it's chess is the label, mm-hmm. but where they were chess brothers, right? And uh, they were they were there. The mob was involved, and but that's still a really remarkable film. Oh, it is, and actually, in the segment before we played Howlin' Wolf, oh, and Wolf. the the guy who performed who does Howlin' yes. Wolf in that movie is amazing. Like when I first heard him sing a Howlin' Wolf tune, I think it was Smokestack Lightning, and my mind was blown like that sounds exactly like yeah. Howlin' Wolf did. It was actually Chester Arthur Burnett wow. was his name. Good good no. Yeah. I, like I just uh, thought that was great. Um and I heard you playing a little and what a hard life and a terrible ending, but with little Walter, but those yeah. guys. And then later, some of those guys sued and won. And Well, so so it's always fascinating to hear about these things. So like Sonny Boy Williamson, yeah, too, played him back in the first yeah. hour of the show. Yeah. And just phenomenal harmonica pioneer. And when you had Led Zeppelin do Bring It On Home, yeah. they literally just pulled, they literally it. pulled and they, stole, they stole from Chuck Berry on whole thing. Chuck Berry beat the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. And he, they stole, they lifted riffs. I am... This morning on the show, this book is called FM, mm. Richard Near. And two weeks ago, we did Hey Kid, Don't Bump the Record. Um, the, uh, why these books are suddenly appearing, but um, this is about the East Coast FM radio wars. Mm. And it's so well done. But how they had the the, the uh, profiles of the certain performing artists of the time, who mm-hmm. it's brutal. But the, the the theft went on. Yeah, it, it continued to go on. Oh, and it's it's fascinating too when you look at the early days of uh, music concerts and security. I had a guest on several years ago with my good friend Jeff Crump, who worked for Barry Fay oh, for sure. ten years. Yeah. Um, and we had a friend of his called Tony Funches, who mm-hmm. since passed away. And Tony was a pioneer in security at well, these concerts. That's this concerts. stuff. Mm-hmm. What they were doing. Yeah, and um, it's fascinating. And the, the difference, I was talking to our boss, Brian, Brian Taylor, on uh, Friday about it. The, the other book, Hey Kid, Don't Bump the Records, about the, the West Coast. Mm. And then this is about the East Coast, albeit at the same time frame. But uh, the, the FM battles and, and the stuff that I witnessed here in, in, in Denver was very, it was much the same, although certainly on a lower level. But this guy, and in, and in, the, and in the end, and on both, both books conclude Howard Stern's a jerk. And they both, you know, they both are mm-hmm. very, very critical how, how, how Stern behaved. But as this guy points out in the book about Stern, and I've never been around Stern. I don't know Stern. But I heard he's, he's, a, he's tough to be around. But this guy said they're playing, they're arguing about what picks to play. And Howard Stern is spanking bare-bottom lesbians. And they think they can't beat him. Surprise. Mm. He kills him. And he also was the end of Mark and Brian was Howard Stern when they started syndicating him and bringing him into other markets. And he did it here. He tried it here. And he got let go here. 
but it's it's this is this is how a great book. do you compare just on the yeah. topic of Stern? How do you compare the influence on radio, yeah. not the format, yeah. but radio of Howard Stern to Rush Limbaugh? Limbaugh is what in our business is called a monster. Mm-hmm. He is he's a game changer. I've often argued on behalf of Mike Rosen that Rosen did conservative talk first in this city way before anybody else. Yes, but there was something about, and I think it's because Rush Limbaugh was a disc jockey, and he jocked under a couple of different names, and you know, and he understood the business. Not that Mike did not, but Limbaugh did. And no, they there's not a comparison analysis there, and pretty much remember. Rush operates on AM. He mm-hmm. saves AM mm-hmm. radio. Literally. Ways. Literally. And the other guy was really kind of an FM guy, or mm-hmm. it was a totally FM guy. Different audiences, but Limbaugh lit the fuse. Yeah. And and I always defend Mike Rosen first by saying Rosen did it in Denver. He did. But then along comes Limbaugh. Yeah. One of a kind. There's nobody like him. Yeah, it's just fascinating to, to yeah. think about yeah. the evolution of, of this format. What yeah. else have you got coming up well, on the show? And then it turns in all these guys turn into, into talk radio. So yeah, we're going to do that. Exactly. Uh, we're going to talk to a great historian about uh, what's called tripwire wars, which I think we're involved in now, a tripwire. Uh, we're watching Joe Biden push Vladimir Putin into the arms of the Chinese. And if you push him into the arms of the Chinese, you're pushing him into the arms of the North Koreans, uh, what the multinationals are going to do. But we, and then we're going to talk Barbara, about Barbara Tuckman, March to Folly, Guns, Guns of August, you know, that. And then uh, Robert Spencer, the same foreign policy decisions. And then FM, the rise and fall of rock radio. And the first part of the book is written by Stevie Van Zandt. Really? Yeah. And how they all discovered Bruce Springsteen. And they think he's just a club act until he does Born to Run. Mm. And, and then they bootleg the records and they become friends. And it's, just, I mean, it's a, it's a companion book to Hey Kid, Don't Bump the Record, and the only great radio movie uh, is entitled uh, Telling Lies in America. That's a sleeper. If you're going to teach a class, these are the books. And then if you're looking for a great music movie, yeah, it's not entirely accurate, but Cadillac Records. That's right. I mean, and even it really the end of it, is. Chess didn't end that way. I mean, mm-hmm. Chess... No. Uh, but but so I mean just the the, the folks that were on oh. the chess label. If you're looking for old school blues, just look up chess label, oh, yeah. and you'll see the the list of oh. people from and Muddy Waters and Little Walter to Howlin' Wolf and Buddy Guy. And but the payoff was a Cadillac. Yeah, and he's stealing. He's stealing. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, uh, the chesses are stealing. Uh, but but uh, it, 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 that was the great line. The little uh, Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. It wasn't until the last teenager, who was probably at the time as old as I am, got a mm. dime. Wow. They cheated them. Peter Boyles, everybody. Nine to noon here on Newstalk 710. KNUS, have a great show. And, yes, we are aware that the news is outdated. That will be addressed. I'm Jimmy Sagenberger. Have a great weekend. Stay warm. And, as always, may God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.